from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. It's time to start the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to get things started on the Coco Crew tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, dude, welcome. Welcome, you're listening to this episode 78 of the Coco Crew Podcast. Woo! I feel oh, 78 man. tonight. <laughs> Sometimes I feel 78 as well. 78's um, a good year. It's a good number for us. Uh, beyond the quarter million download mark, I think that's a pretty big accomplishment. Or at least Woo-hoo. it seems big to me. Yeah. Pretty excited about that. It's a quarter million downloads. It can't be wrong. That's huge. <laughs> thanks, listeners. Yeah, definitely thanks, listeners. Now, it doesn't mean there's a quarter million listeners, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it looks like there's a good three or not quite 4,000 that are consistently there. So that's pretty good. I'll take that strength of, uh, of numbers. It's nice to have that, um, you know, the word to knowing somebody's listening to us when as we produce this every month. <laughs> Anyway, we had that announcement on the Facebook group and uh, seemed to be well-received, I think. So, very good for us. Let's see, we got CocoVest coming up in about, what, five months? That'll be CocoVest 2022, quick on the heels of CocoVest 2021. <laughs> that's right. So, that's exciting. And we've got uh, Tandy Assembly coming up in about ten months. Maybe just, uh, I think my math might be off a little bit. Anyway, close enough to 10 months. <laughs> <laughs> Looking good. Uh, very exciting. Uh, nice to have events going on in the real world. Hopefully we'll be able to get to get to these as, like we did last year, like we did in 2021, I should say. Let's see. What about projects? Anyone working on any kind of cool projects? Anything fun or interesting or nifty? Well, I am. And yeah. uh, I, know, I know I sound like a broken record every month here, but for real, for real, I have uh, Blockdown uh, definitely on its way, and it'll be ready for next month. Awesome. December. The stickers just came in for it. And that is a car- cartridge game, correct? Yes, a, a GMC cartridge game. <laughs> With music. That's right. Very exciting cool. stuff. There. Yeah, can't wait to get mine. <laughs> I had a little time off uh, here for right around the Thanksgiving holiday, and didn't do too much or haven't done too much Coco-specific stuff other than I kind of um, dug into some boxes that I'd <laughs> stashed uh, stuff. And, and that's what happens around here when we have a gathering, we're going to have people over or whatever. At the last minute, we kind of have to run around and uh, gather up uh, the uh, the residuals from my various projects, <laughs> put them in boxes and put them in the garage or whatever. So I had a, a couple of those stashed away and took the time to go through them and find some stuff. And I uh, actually found some parts. I was able to put together um, a couple of parts kits for uh, uh, GMC development kits. 
and a couple of them have gone out, so very exciting stuff. Um, nice. If you're interested in one of those, feel free to send me an email. I, I don't know how many I have at any one time, but if you send me an email, that's your better chance of getting one that way than if you don't send me an email at all. <laughs> so, what about you, Mike? You got anything going on or uh, just uh, life still oh, shooting? Yeah, I've, I've still been pretty busy. Uh, I've been playing with my Moo board a little bit. So oh, yeah? That's been fun. So dusted that off and uh, been working with a little. It's a cool thing for your uh, color computer one or two. Cool. Very cool. Um, is that a new acquisition or something you've had for a while? No, it's something I had for a while, but uh, kind of like what you did, I, I discovered it and said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I need to plug that back in and uh, spend some time with it. So <laughs> Very good. But, uh, let's see, what about um, other acquisitions or anything like that? Do you got anything new recently there, Neil? I have, actually. It's not quite uh, Cocoa-related, but it's a Tandy. I've been oh, yeah. this model for years now. So I now own a Tandy 1000 RSX. Oh, very nice. Nice. That's cool. So do you have a plan for that? Or? Yeah, I'm going to yeah, just soup it up, upgrade it, and uh, you know, see what it can well, do. Base Quest or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do the old uh, Sierra games on it and yeah. VGA Glory. Very exciting, very exciting, cool. I've had a few acquisitions here and there. Inspired by um, Pete Satinsky, who announced on uh, one of the most recent um, trash talks that he had acquired a, um, a CRT rejuvenator. I went and searched eBay and uh, found one at a price I could uh, I could justify. So I, I got a CRT rejuvenator and tester. So I don't really know how to use it, but <laughs> um, in case I need to uh, get down deep with a a CRT, um, I'm, I've got the equipment now. Um, so that'll restore an actual tube. Well, that's what I've uh, I've heard that they can be used for that. Um, I've heard kind of it's not a guarantee, <laughs> but they can. Um, uh, sometimes yeah, I guess you get oxidation on the on the guns inside the tube, and by running a extra high current through there, you can kind of burn some of that off. And so oh, when you cool. get a a tube that gets a little dim, sometimes you can clear off the electrodes and make it a little brighter. <laughs> nice. So I think it's also useful for like just testing the tubes at all. If you have a tube that you're, you know, don't know whether it works or not, I think they're good for that too. But um, why don't we um, call this uh, an introduction? <laughs> Take a little break, and then we'll be back with some announcements. Great presentation, Dirk. Thanks, Sherry. How do you keep your calendar straight without an administrative assistant? Oh, but I do have an administrative assistant, the CEO. What? The CEO, the complete electronic organizer from Computerware. It turns any 64K color computer with one or more disk drives into your personal assistant. The Daybook lets you keep track of events, special occasions, and hourly notes. The clock supports multiple alarms and event reminders. And it has an easy-to-use phone directory, a calculator, a freeform file keeper, no more searching through business cards and pieces of paper. Wow. Seems like everyone should make the CEO their personal administrative assistant. Wink. <laughs> make the CEO your personal assistant for just $49.95. The complete electronic organizer, CEO, from Colorware, Encinitas, California. All right, Color Cruisers, welcome back. Now it's time for some announcements. 
You are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. We are available on Twitter with Twitter handle at Coco Crew Podcast. That's at sign C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, if you'd like to send tweets, feel free to tweet at us. Maybe we'll tweet back. Let's see, we are, of course, uh, we have a page on uh, Facebook listed under the Coco Crew Podcast, four separate words. So join the uh, Facebook group, maybe get a little early news or um, yeah, extra side discussions or whatever, and uh, join our group and, um, you know, be uh, fun for one and all. Let's see, we are a podcast, so um, we do have an RSS feed available at cococrew.org. If, if that's too you know, DIY or old school for you, <laughs> you can find us uh, listed through um, Apple Podcasts, uh, listed on uh, Google Play, and uh, we are available. Those, those are for like normal podcast downloads, and then we are available for streaming through Spotify, through Stitcher, and the uh, service called TuneIn. So very good. And if there's some some way that you prefer to, to con- consume podcasts, and if we're not available there, then please let us know, and we'll see what we can do to get listed. I think all of the podcasts now are available. Um, well, we've taken uh, audio podcasts and done a little transformation on them to turn them into video, pretty much static screens with video and a little overlay of a waveform. But, you know, interesting enough, um, we'll, put, we'll make this available on YouTube. One advantage for this is um, YouTube does a pretty good job with uh, subtitles. And so if for some reason, if you either uh, have a hearing disability or um, if um, you know English is not your first language, or otherwise you have trouble with our accents or pronunciation, the subtitles might help you enjoy the show more. So you might think about uh, consuming the show through YouTube. Let's see. We are, of course, a member of the Throwback Network. The Throwback Network is a list of um, retro podcasts or retro-themed podcasts, many of which are retro gaming or retro computing related. And then there's some that are not gaming-related, but uh, kind of centered around uh, 80s uh, culture and that sort of thing. So if you are caught up on the Coco Crew podcast and looking for something else to listen to, then we recommend that you check out the Throwback Network. Also, we are listed as well on the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. This is also a list of retro-themed podcasts. In this case, all of them centered around gaming or computing from the past. <laughs> and again, if you are run, if you are caught up on the Kokoro podcast and are looking for other things to listen to, then we recommend that you check out the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. The audio for the Kokoro podcast is hosted by Cyber Ears. If you are uh, need have a need to Post audio on the on the internet, whether it be your own podcast or recordings for your social club or church or other organization. Then we recommend that you check out Cyber Ears, where you will get your audio on your terms. If you want to reach out to the hosts of the Coco Crew podcast via email, we have some addresses set up for you. And the first three here will reach all of the hosts of the show. So we have, uh, of course, show, S-H-O-W, at cococrew.org. That's at C-O-C-O-D-R-E-W dot O-R-G. We also have podcast at cococrew.org. So that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at cococrew.org. Also feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococrew.org. And if you want to reach the individual hosts, 
We'll see. I'm available as John, J-O-H-N, at CougarCougar.org. Neil is available as Neil, N-E-I-L, at CougarCougar.org. Mike is available as Mike, M-I-K-E, at CougarCougar.org. And Boise, who is unfortunately not with us today, um, but Boise is available as Boise, B-O-I-S-Y, at CougarCougar.org. All right, there's our standard announcements. Uh, here we've got a list of events in the real world that may be of interest to our listeners. First one on the list, coming up for December 4th, 2021, we've got the World of Commodores. The World of Commodores to go for this year. This is in Toronto, hosted by the Toronto Pet Users Group. Yeah, it's uh, uh-huh. technically Mississauga, but it's, you know, they call it the GTA, which is the greater Toronto area. At the Admiral Inn in Mississauga, and a virtual online component through Zoom. Very good. So, the World of Commodore is a go for this year. We intended to run a hybrid event and an in-person component at the Admiral Inn, Mississauga. Very good. This is a Commodore-oriented event, I assume. <laughs> World of Commodore. Uh, Nia, you've yes. been to this event. Is this uh, something that uh, our, our, our listeners would like? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great event. You know, it definitely is Commodore influenced, but, uh, you know, sometimes there's a non-retro Commodore stuff there. Like one year, um, someone had a paper tape reader going. Uh-huh. That was neat. Loaded a Microsoft Basic from it. But, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a good event, you know. Very good. So, World of Commodore, December 4th, 2021. That, of course, is, as usual, I think, is the last event uh, on our calendar for the year. <laughs> so, I'll rotate around to 2022. April 22nd, 23rd, 24th of, 22, of 2022, Finnish Computer Festival East. Um, their website is still up for 2021, so <laughs> pardon the confusion as I try to read through. Uh, this will be held at the InfoAge Science and History Museums in Wall, New Jersey. It's a cool event. They have a nice um, vintage uh, facility, shall we say. Got some history there at Old Marconi Radio Site up in, the, in New Jersey. Old Army Base, um, yeah, a, got a, a lot of old stuff there. Always um, a lot of good exhibits, a lot of old computers. See more big iron stuff here than I've seen anywhere else. Very cool, nice group of guys or people. So if you're in the, um, the northeastern part of the United States, particularly in the New York area, the end of April in 2022, then uh, we recommend you check out the Venice Computer Festival East, Wall, New Jersey. April 22nd to 24th. April 29th through May 1st of 2022, we have the Midwest Gaming Classic. Midwest Gaming Classic, a trade show featuring 150,000 square feet of retro and modern home video game consoles, pinball machines, arcade video games, tabletop RPGs, computers, tabletop board games, screen games, collectible card games, air hockey, and that's just the start. So, very cool event. Uh, I know Ron Klein always recommended this event. And, of course, it's going to be held in um, Milwaukee, the Wisconsin Center. So, very cool-looking event. Looks very professionally uh, presented or whatever. I don't know about the crane games part, but the rest of it sounds pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> pretty cool. Sounds like a cool event. Looks well well publicized, whatever. So, good event. Give it, give it a try. If you're in the... Um, Midwestern part of the United States, or if you're on the other side of the Canadian border and able to get across. <laughs> All right, so moving on from there, takes us to May 14th and 15th, 2022. 
We have the 22 edition, uh, 2022 edition of the last Chicago Coca Fest. Uh, this is a big event from, uh, for the past many years, <laughs> uh, for the Cocoa World, sponsored by the Glenside Color Computer Club, Holiday Inn Elgrove Village in Elgrove Village, Illinois. I predict that this will be, um, uh, a well attended event and uh, hopefully good fun will be had by all. <laughs> all right. Very exciting. August, August 6th and 7th, 2022, we have VCF, or Vintage Computer Festival West, held at the uh, Computer History Museum, Mountain View, California. VCF West is for everyone, computer geeks, families, children, students, collectors, IT professionals, curious onlookers. <laughs> As you find demos of 1960s mini computers, 70s homebrew systems, 80s 8-bitters, and a few oddities. Some exhibits contain pristine original machines, while others focused on unique modern hacks and everything in between. So, if you are on the West Coast of the United States, particularly in the Silicon Valley area, we recommend that you plan for um, August 7th and 8th uh, to attend the Vintage Computer Festival West. Finally, we've got our big event, 2022, talking about September 30th through October 2nd, 2022, Tandy Assembly which will be held in Springfield, Ohio. Very good. This is the big uh, Tandy event, joint uh, color computer and the Z80 and Model 100 and Tandy 1000. All are welcome. Pocket computers, whatever you got. If it came from Tandy, we'd love to see it. <laughs> Been well attended event over the past few years. A lot of good uh, Tandy content and a good group of people. Yeah, um, great group it, of people. Yeah, very nice. And the organizers are, are, you know, handsome and fun and nice to talk to. And... We're partial to them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, definitely a cool event. And um, I want you to put it on your calendar and uh, plan to come and join us. And that will be September 30th through October 2nd of 2022, Springfield, Ohio. Link is in the show notes. <laughs> All right, so... That'll be the end of our announcements. So why don't we uh, take a little break? I'll get a little something to drink, <laughs> and then we'll be back with some news. Wouldn't it be great if you could get everybody's Christmas gifts at the same place? Well, maybe you can. I'll let you in on a little secret. The Holiday Gift Center at Radio Shack. After all, everyone loves electronics. And who has more favorites than Radio Shack? Calculators, radios, personal stereos, computer accessories. Oh, plus all kinds of handheld electronic games for the kids. So take care of everybody on your list. Make it a Radio Shack holiday. Oh, I'm dead. But check out that high score. How did you do that? With the Gamester. It's a real arcade joystick with arcade buttons. Can I try? Sure. Wow, this has really got some weight to it. Yeah, it's made of real wood. Is this walnut? Yep. You can choose any wood or finish when you order yours. It looks great, and this joystick is amazing. It's smooth, and the buttons are great. You can choose a custom cable link, or even get a left-handed version. I'm sold. Where do I get mine? Introducing the Gamester. The Gamester is the ultimate two-button joystick controller for your color computer, Dragon, and Tandy 1000. The Gamester features a genuine arcade-quality joystick with two large arcade-quality cherry switch buttons on a single surface. Every Gamester is built to order. Choose the wood for your cabinet. Choose custom paint or stain and finishes. The Gamester is designed to last a lifetime. To build yours, simply reach out to Neil Blanchard by email. 
neil at cococrew.org. That's N-E-I-L at C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot org. Experience genuine arcade controller action for all of your favorite color computer, Dragon, and Tandy 1000 computer games. For true arcade action, it's The Gamester. All right, Coco Cruisers. Now it's time for the news. All right, the first uh, news article we have kicking off this show from SoCal Demo Scene. Uh, it's a YouTube video. It's called Attack of the Pods, the in-circuit emulators. Now, I don't know much about these, but they look pretty darn cool. Different versions here. There's a 6809, 6502, and a Z80. Yeah, I mean, it's a cool use of, um, you know, FPGA technology or whatever. They can plug these pods in and place of the CPUs and then control them remotely using uh, software that looks a lot like what um, a command line debugger would, would uh, how it would operate. So you just kind of can take remote control of a computer from a larger computer and uh, step through code and, you know, write to memory and all that kind of stuff. So. Very nice. Uh, I think all the parts maybe are not not entirely or easily available anymore. <laughs> kind of missed the boat. Like so many things had, you know how these things happen in the retro scene. Somebody comes up with something, and and then uh, you know a little while later you can't get it anymore. Um, right. But somebody made the video. Thought it was worth showing. I think we covered those when they first came out. Cool technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, the next news article is from uh, Sheldon McDonald, another fellow Canadian, uh, and he has a update on his PSG loader. It looks like he's added um, some icons for the file selection. So the, the PSG loader is a, um, it's a soundboard. It's been created from uh, Ed Snyder. Some people have uh, purchased these. Uh, it looks, looks yeah. like a nice piece of software. It's got a nice, a nice GUI to it. Yeah, Sheldon's been doing what he can to, to make that hardware useful. <laughs> right, um, yeah. And uh, somebody needs to step in and do that, and uh, Sheldon's taking it upon himself. I'm not sure how much other traction it's getting, but, uh, you know, he puts on the demos, and mm-hmm. looks like he's making some progress. Yeah, it looks cool. The next news article is from uh, Gergo Erdi, titled Rust on the... MOS, which is MOS, 6502. Beyond Fibonacci? I'm not sure what the Fibonacci reference is exactly. Maybe it's some, some project he's doing. Anyway, basically what he's done, done is he's found a um, back end to the LLVM compiler project that produces 6502 machine code. And the way the LLVM is structured is you can map that back end to front ends for a variety of languages and you know probably primarily in most people's minds LLVM is a C compiler but it's also uh, has front ends for Rust as well as uh, other languages I'm sure Rust is kind of a I'm sure it's not new but it's new-ish because <laughs> you know it's just taking over the world so uh, whatever if you ask uh, <laughs> people that like Rust for sure and so he's um, put these technologies together so that you can write Rust programs that run on 6502. And of course, this is a, you know not a not a Cocoa pro- project, but if somebody wanted to put in the time to do a 6809 um, backend for LLVM, you could do something somewhere on the Cocoa, right? So it's inspiration. 
And if you didn't understand what I was talking about, then you're probably not the one to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Next news article is from Bernardo Castro. An article here from uh, The Bite Attic. This is kind of cool. Uh, Engineering for Purpose, the Silliness of the Commander X-16. I didn't even honestly know about this board. And and I have been in the retro community for, for a while, so <laughs> probably yeah. be more up on it if it if you were into Commodores because it's yeah it's a little more that. Commodore oriented. The eight bit guy, of course, is famous in his own right for his uh, retro um, YouTube channel or whatever. But at some point, he decided to become involved in a project to basically build a new computing platform based around uh, some bits of you know eight bit technology and including some amount of software from the Commodore world, so the uh, the Commodore kernel or something like that, uh, adapting that or, or whatever to this new board. Whatever. It's a cool project, and uh, a lot of people have been excited about the Commander X-16. I haven't seen that much other backlash, but um, th- this guy, the author of this article, <laughs> kind of slaps him a little hard. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know, I think you make some good points um, and about this kind of project and its level of practicality and professionalism and or lack thereof. And what do you owe somebody that's a potential customer for a project like this? And, you know, the idea of uh, amateur or self-taught engineers pulling something off that the big boys haven't done, I'm sure has a lot of appeal to people in a underdog sort of way. From the underdog aspect, I'm sure I also would love to see them pull something off. But from the, you know, mugged by reality sort of side of things, maybe um, Bernardo here uh, has uh, some good points to make. So check it out and keep an open mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely worth the read. All right, our next story is from Tim Halloran. Tim was at Tandy Assembly, and he had a, a great Cocoa display this year. Uh, he's got a YouTube video uh, called Making a TRS-80 Cassette Cable. And uh, the good thing about the TRS-80 Cassette Cable is Radio Shack had the smarts to stick with the same cable for all their different computers. So this cable, I think Tim is actually showing it on a Model 3, building a cassette cable from scratch because they can be difficult to find or locate or you know find at a reasonable price. Not a real complicated project if you're looking for a reason to get your soldering iron out. That same cable will work on the Model 100, the, the 3, the 4, and, of course, the uh, the color computer, so or the MC-10, for that matter. Um, <laughs> so it's a good uh, good video on how to uh, build a cassette cable. So if, if you need one, if you need to load something from cassette, give Tim's video a watch, and you'll be in business in no time. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it is cool that uh, Tandy used the same cable for for everything, um, but I'm not sure that uh, all those machines, in fact, I know at least the MC-10 does not have the same cassette remote control ability that the Cocoa does. <laughs> so right. if you make this cable for your MC-10, you're kind of actually doing a little unnecessary soldering for that, that particular wire. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, for your Coco, or um, I guess I assume the Model 1, 3, and 4 yeah. can do that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, it's cool that the cable still works either way, and it's good to have some uh, project direction or whatever if you need the help. 
good to see. Yeah, there's only one problem with that. You mm. have to solder a DIN. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that, that's part of the learning experience. That's part yeah. of the fun. That's <laughs> the challenge. Well, you learn that you need four hands. Yeah. <laughs> and that plastic melts very easily. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, this next one is from Gareth Halfacre. This is from the UK. So, Beige Pencil Stockists on High Alert as Coloring Book of Retro Computers Hits the Crowdfunding Circuit. <laughs> uh, this, this is a cool one because uh, this is a, a, a literally a coloring book being made of retro computers in the UK. And uh, they have an artist who did a lot of the artwork for the Sinclair series of computers. So they got a, a, you know, a totally legit person to create the line and pencil drawings for the coloring book that they're going to produce. There have been others in the past. Uh, we always kind of joke about that because most of the computers of that time were beige or silver, <laughs> you know, or gray. Yeah, <laughs> not exactly. A lot, not a lot of color out there, but you could use your imagination. Uh, not a ton of color to add, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I personally, I mean, I, I guess this is where I get in trouble, right? If you like to color, just turn volume down for a few seconds. <laughs> I think coloring <laughs> books for adults are kind of ridiculous. Um, I, but I guess you could say so are old computers for adults. Um, <laughs> so if that's what folks will vote, that's fine. Um, but uh, anyway, it's a, a little bit in the news, so I'll throw it in here. Yeah, kind of an interesting uh, collectible. So if you uh, just have one of those, it would be kind of interesting to see what they uh, have published in it. Oh, for sure. I often thought uh, for coloring book, an, a cool idea would be using um, – some of the, the covers of the uh, Coco cartridge games. That artwork is really yeah. nice. Yeah, it'd be. That yeah. could be cool. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Or, you know, just the uh, the box covers from any kind of games from back then. <laughs> right. <laughs> were always much better than the actual graphics you would get. <laughs> Very, <laughs> true. True. Very true. Very <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, our next one is from a good friend of the show, Jim Gary. Retro Challenge 2021, Les Cavern by <laughs> Charles Fede, 1982. This is a French game, obviously. I think that translates to the caves. It's kind of so it's kind of a cave adventure type game. It looks like it's been ported to the MC10, or at least Jim was involved. I guess they didn't have complete source code, but uh, I think Jim pitched in and helped them fill in the blanks for things that they they couldn't read. So. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting read. Check it out. Yeah, very cool. Thank you, Jim. And our next one is from XKCD. Uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar with XKCD, then you definitely want to follow this link. Uh, this link's called Modern Tools. It's a it's a cartoon. It's out at least weekly. Computer geek uh, nerd humor. Um, <laughs> and this one specifically, uh, you know, you'll have to go and look at yourself. But it really covers the idea that. You know, most people use ancient tools, develop modern technology, but in the, it's, it's apt to the retro world because we kind of do the opposite. We take modern technology to develop old stuff for, for our old computers. Right. So. Yeah, it's funny. I like, kind of turned the joke on there. On this head there, you're talking about using the artificial intelligence, uh, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> to build a retro computing project. Right. So, pretty funny. <laughs> Let's see, the next one, let's see, the next two actually are, are from Adafruit, uh, the website, a uh, little nerd news site, and, and uh, I'm happy to sell you electronics kits and that kind of stuff too. <laughs> anyway, the first one, um, 
Fortran uh, language that we touch on once in a while on this uh, on this podcast. It's um, an old computer programming language. It's not really pertinent to the Cocoa per se, but it is a history of computing kind of thing. Uh, Fortran, this is as of September 20th, said Fortran turns 67 years old today. Time marches on and old things get even older is what it amounts to. <laughs> was, um, you know, celebrating the birthday of uh, one of the first uh, programming uh, languages that uh, was not an assembly language, an actual compiler. And uh, definitely something historical and important to the history of computing. So, really a ma- passage of time to a birthday. But uh, <laughs> if you never programmed in Fortran, then probably continue with that and you'll be happy. <laughs> but um, not the worst language I've ever seen. Um, but uh, it's certainly got its quirks. Um, if you ever wonder about the origins of 80-column terminals, I'm pretty sure it's tied in there with the the uh, punch cards that were used for programming in Fortran. But uh, <laughs> anyway, there you go. Fortran turns 67. And then... Um, the next, uh, it was posted the next day at Adafruit. Uh, the next one is a history of the logo language. And so this is, like I say, a historical thing. It's a little more pertinent to the Cocoa. The Cocoa had at least at least two implementations of logo, and maybe there were more, but definitely those two. Yeah, logo, the Lisp-inspired uh, language, often paired with the Turtle graphics. Uh, a lot of history to, be, to uh, cover there. And... Um, if you're interested, uh, there's a, a pretty lengthy post there that you can lead, read and uh, learn a little bit about um, Seymour Papert and uh, the Mother Friends and uh, how uh, Logo came to be and was, was developed. Very cool and very fun. Are you a serious color computer assembly language programmer? Then you'll love EDT. EDT is a full screen editor built expressly for machine language programming. It features a high-resolution 51x24 screen. Switch between normal or free edit modes. In normal mode, the line you edit is always in the center of the screen, so you can easily see code above and below the line you're editing. Mark blocks of code and use move, copy, and delete functions. EDT uses a fixed four-column format for labels, opcodes, operands, and comments. Use the spacebar to tab between columns. And EDT has many useful functions for assembly programmers. Easily generate a list of labels or jump to any label. Use the built-in hexadecimal and decimal calculator. Convert from hex to decimal or decimal to hex. EDT also allows you to generate brackets, braces, and backslashes, providing you with a full character set for 6809 assemblers. EDT also supports a full range of disk operations such as load, save, and append. Easily save and load subroutines in your active edit sessions. And even with a high-resolution screen, you can utilize as much as 48K for programs. EDT is simply the best assembly language editor for the color computer. A 64K Cocoa 1 or 2 with disk drive is required. Why suffer with line editors and endless printouts? EDT is just $39.95 from Sunburst Software, Grants Pass, Oregon. It's Radio Shack's spectacular Christmas sale. I just got a great buy for my stereo system. These Radio Shack speakers on sale for $39.95 each. That's half price, a real bargain. A two-way bass reflex system, incredible bass, clear, crisp highs, and a rich walnut veneer finish. Looks great, sounds great. And for a limited time, 
get the matching walnut veneer 64K color computer too. It entertains, educates, and manages. It's expandable and affordable and features a rich walnut veneer finish. On sale now for just $99.95. Only at Radio Shack. We walnut veneer everything. All right, so moving on. So you've got one from Juan Castro. He says, um, about my early mentioned hacks to HDB DOS. Uh, so at one point he had posted something about how he'd done a bunch of hacks for to add functionality to HDB DOS. So he's uh, followed through on that with a, a Dropbox link. You can download ROMs with uh, his implementations of some uh, some additional functionality for HDB DOS for use with DriveWire. Something to check into kind of relates to a recent tech segment where I talked about adding some functionality to a DOS. You know, here's somebody who's done exactly that uh, for some other specific uh, purposes. You might want to check it out and burn yourself an EEPROM and see if you enjoy Juan's work. Uh, we've got one. This is a YouTube video from uh, Knowles or Knowles uh, Retro Lab as on the YouTube channel. This dragon lost its color. So this Dragon 64 was uh, working. The colors were messed up. He uh, thought he was going to have a quick fix and maybe make a couple of adjustments. Ended up having to dig fairly deep into the world of PAL color <laughs> and uh, had to deal with some glitches and that sort of thing. And uh, even the still shot of the of the uh, video, you can see a kind of a weird gradation of the color. It gets more blue as you get farther to the right. So uh, a weird repair story, but on a Dragon 64, or particularly a PAL Dragon 64, could be a fun watch. Check it out. Uh, you might enjoy it. Looks like it's got about 16,000 views. So uh, maybe if you give them an extra couple of thousand, that'd be fun. Yeah, definitely enjoyable. And uh, you learn a bit about the uh, the video circuitry. Great troubleshooting video. Uh, I think it also, for uh, the median age of our audience, is uh, advancing in years. And it shows you why you probably need some kind of uh, magnifying or microscope. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah. To see things you can't see with your uh, your old eyes anymore. All right, the next news article here is from uh, Jose Antonio, and it's titled, I got another Radio Shack micro color computer, MC10, without power source. So I built one from a 9-volt AC transformer, and he, uh, he built it in a wooden box, like an enclosure. It actually looks really cool. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't think that, but uh, yeah, that's that's really nice. Uh, nice work. No surprise. I mean, I, I come across MC10s and, and they just never have a power supply. Mm -hmm. But I was using those uh, NES power supplies. That's right. That is a good replacement for those if you are looking for one. It's the same as the NES. Yeah, but this is a cool idea too. And and he he does state here that uh, the video is nice and crisp. And I'm sure it is with a good transformer. So that's cool. Uh, that's cool. The next news article is from Robert Siege, a Boulder Dash game by Jim Gary and Robert Siege. So they looks like they uh, went together and did a game here, added some features. I haven't played it. It's for the uh, for the MC10 here. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance to play it yet either, but uh, that would be a good one to have. Uh, I like Boulder Dash, so I think that'd be kind of neat to have on an MC10. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's good. Good to see. 
Next news article, uh, speaking of Jim Gary, it's uh, from Jim Gary, and it's uh, Greg Dion's Tetris with sound samples. Now, this is awesome. <laughs> I love it, yeah. The sounds are amazing. Oh, yeah. That, that, you know, and honestly, I had no idea the MC-10 could even do digitized uh, samples. I had no idea. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard heard the machine do that before. It pulls it off well. Yeah. Yeah, it's very fitting. And, and the graphics are really nice, too, in this version of Tetris. Yeah. Yeah. Fun game. Yeah. yeah it looks good. Uh, next uh, news article here is from... Glass TTY. It's a YouTube video. ZX81 goes nuclear, controlling a nuclear power plant. Mm-hmm. Now, now tell me this isn't real. <laughs> it's a simulation. It's a simulation. <laughs> yeah. but, but it proves, I mean, you know, a Z80 could certainly be up to the task. Yeah. For all yeah, the, it's uh, amazing. Control stuff. Uh, another video that I really enjoyed. And he's got such uh, clear graphics on the ZX81 on his display, but yeah, I see uh, that. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some very fancy math involved, uh, but not beyond uh, the Z80 at all. Right. <laughs> I thought it was cool to include that one. This, you know, the the um, all the doorstop jokes about the MC10 uh, obviously are inspired yeah. a bit by the ZX81 or. <laughs> So, at least in this case, it's actually a real doorstop there controlling a power plant. Including the comedy factor. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you're looking for a challenge, though, it would be cool to see this ported to, uh, to the MC-10 or to a couple computer, add some color sure. elements to it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah just checking out the, the graphics here. It is very crisp in this video. Mm-hmm. I know he did a. He talks about a composite mod he did to it, and it looks like it works really well. Yeah. All right. This next one is from Al Williams at Hackaday. It's Raycasting 101 makes things simple. Um, hmm. And this is a nice Hackaday article on using raycasting to, uh, you know, the question is you're making a game. How do you how do you make something look 3D? You know, we're talking like uh, Doom or uh, Gate Crasher, that kind of thing. We've got kind of a 3D world where you can you can pan you know 180 degrees to see yeah. things, and uh, uh, obviously you're using a, an algorithm to to draw these things. That's called raycasting. So this is a a, a more thorough explanation of uh, how you pull that off. So if you're uh, looking at a, a game where you you want to uh, where you have a, a 2D environment and you want it to look 3D uh, on a computer, uh, you definitely should uh, check this out. Cool article. Yeah, I'm not sure if this if he really achieves the simple part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, maybe simplifies it as much as it can be, or whatever. I think it's a topic that I think some people will find some interest in trying to wrap their head around. And uh, and you know, I think it's doable. Obviously, we can see we've seen people accomplish. Um, uh, you know, like say Gloom or or, or you know whatever that. You know the the technology can run on the cocoa. But, um, it's uh, but it's still pretty tough. <laughs> All right, this next one is from Dale Frankham at YouTube. Coco three Pi drive wire and tool shed. Now this is a nice YouTube video on uh, a lot of people recently have had questions about using tool shed, which is a, a collection of utilities that lets you manipulate disk files, DSK files, 
other formats as well. Converting, uh, I think even you talked about this last month, John, about uh, converting WAV files and to uh, MC10 and CAS files that are used by uh, different emulators. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's a set of utilities that uh, will work on, on different platforms. In this case, he's using uh, Linux on a uh, Raspberry Pi, but it'd work on Linux or, or Windows or Mac. Uh, it's a good set of tools. So if you're new to Toolshed or, or curious about it, uh, definitely check this video out. He shows uh, using it to pull files out of, uh, out of a DSK file, or you, you can write them into a DSK file. Pretty much lets you do anything you need to do with a, uh, with a disk DSK file to your native computer and back. So if you haven't used Toolshed, uh, you should definitely and use something like DriveWire in particular. Uh, but it's it's good if you're, you're working with uh, a Cocoa SEC as well. Anything that uses the DSK format. All right, we have one from Brian Palmer. Dogfighter, also known as Plane Fighting Game. I think it might have been one of Craig's first machine language games. Now, this is a Facebook post. And there is a, uh, a DSK file out there for Dogfighter. Yeah, it's for a color computer. So go grab it and load it up and give it a try. Yep, I don't know much about the game, but um, usually when Brian Palmer recommends something, it's got some legs. So <laughs> true. Definitely. Check it out. Yeah. Now, this next one I, I like quite a bit. This is from uh, Robin Keery. Audio tape interface revives microcassettes as storage medium. In this case, he's built an interface that allows you to, to save and load programs from an Arduino or data from an Arduino to, uh, you know, to a, in this case, it's a micro cassette recorder. So that's something you don't see every day is people going, taking a modern computer and going back to cassette storage. Uh, the circuit he's built, uh, you know, conditions it so you can, you can store things between uh, 1 and, and uh, 2K bits per second onto a tape or from a tape, kind of slick. Yeah, like you say, it's uh, technique still works, <laughs> even if you're using it for an AVR or something like that. Why not take advantage of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty cool. That's amazing. Uh, cassette tapes are still being produced. <laughs> and uh, micro cassettes at that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So this one... This comes from a writer, um, Kitaro Sujimoto, writing for Nikkei Asia. Tokyo says, long goodbye to beloved floppy disks. (laughs) And apparently it was still common practice, or has still been common practice for a certain amount of data exchange within the the, uh, Japanese government agencies uh, to occur on three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks. <laughs> so this story is kind of akin to the ones about using the eight-inch diskettes uh, in the missile silos in the United States. <laughs> Maybe not quite as bad as that, uh, but uh, still sort of the same idea. If it, didn't, if, it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess. <laughs> and so until at least fairly recently... Uh, the floppy disks weren't broke, uh, but maybe it's broken now. I don't know if you can even get them new anymore. But uh, I guess it's a big enough thing that it made this uh, news uh, article in uh, in Japan. So <laughs> time marches on, I guess, is the, the moral of the story, right? You know, it goes to show how good the technology was to last that long. Yeah, Absolutely. True. Reliable. <laughs> and speaking of old but good and reliable, mostly uh, technology, <laughs> um, the story by uh, Chris Lott at Hackaday, 
someone's done a study comparing different programming languages um, a certain level of popularity and uh, comparing them in different ways, which is pretty common. You have uh, kinds of racing and that sort of stuff. Who can write the programs that run faster in different languages and that sort of thing. In this case, there. Um, so the headline says C is the greenest programming language, <laughs> which uh, you know it's like saying you know my grandmother is the best uh, electric car mechanic or <laughs> something like that. Um, uh, as someone who likes to program in C and thinks it's a pretty good language, it's nice to see that uh, C is still in the running when it comes to some of this stuff. Where they factored in the amount of computing you can do per unit of energy, which is just, yes, that is something that people look at, uh, <laughs> including uh, CIOs, uh, Chief Information Officers. They look at things like that when they're building out um, data centers and that sort of thing. The power becomes, they use enough power that the cost of power and even the availability of power becomes a factor. And so they look at what languages they should be using to um, to get as much computing um, per watt as they possibly can. And they make choices about what uh, computer architectures and to use or well, you might hear about ARM servers taking over from x86 servers in, in certain cases. Um, anyway, <laughs> one of this uh, particular piece of research determined that C was the most, um, you know, achieved uh, the highest computing per watt amongst the um, several languages listed. That's, um, well, at least a couple dozen, I think, worth noting. Guess Dennis Ritchie knew what he was doing. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> No doubt. So yeah, they compare C and Rust, C++, and Ada and Java and Pascal, but then it gets into, I've never even heard of Chapel, uh, Lisp, OCaml, Go, uh, that's an up-and-comer there, Go, Fortran, Haskell, Dart, Racket, I've never heard of that one, <laughs> Erlang, Lua. They basically got, if you've, if you've written a program in it in the last uh, decade, it's probably on the list of what to compare. If you don't believe me, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Post from uh, Brad Srebnik, posting in the Basic Programming Language uh, group on Facebook. He says, I'm pretty sure I'm the first person ever to make a QR encoder in Basic. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Smiley face. <laughs> um, uh, at first, I was attracted to this picture because of what he's posted is the QR code he's generated is a very familiar-looking green uh, along with black. <laughs> and so at first, I thought he'd written it on a, on a Coco or at least on another 6847-based machine. Um, but I don't think that's actually the case. I think he's using QBasic. Um, anyway... Um, I think if you dig deep enough, he has a, a link somewhere in all this that you can get the code. And so maybe you can try it and see if you can get it to run on the Cocoa. That'd be cool. If you can get that to happen, be sure to let us know. I'd love to love to see it run. Definitely. Yeah, that'd be cool. This is a, a kind of something I've thought of, not, not in basic, but I have thought about doing a QR coder just as a project. But it turns out I have other things to do. <laughs> the infinite time machine. That's, yeah, that's right. exactly. The infinite time exactly. bubble. Mm -hmm. 
Looking for quality OS 9 software? Look no further than the JVM Group. Increase your productivity with help, a user-expandable help facility. It includes data for online help with OS 9 utilities, including wildcard searches. Help steps you through until the answer is found. And try our disk backup utility. Back up your hard drive to floppy disks and restore. Handles files larger than your output media. Use date and time for incremental backups. Backup single files, directories, or an entire hard disk. See us in person at the Princeton Rainbow Fest. The JBM Group, Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. Pressing clear, I wish to watch a bouncing sphere. The cry goes up of far and near. Go, go, go three, go, go three, go, go three, go, go three. Back up lightning, roar a floppy, switching disks to make a copy. Go, go three. Let's you disrupt computing from anywhere in the room. Just plug in the clapper and a color computer, multi-pack, disk drive, almost anything that will result in shrieks of horror from a sudden power-off of your cocoa. You idiot! I was balancing the checkbook! Oh! You're an asshole! Clap off! Clap on! Clap off! Clap on! The clapper! Manufacturers and distributors of the clapper are not liable for damages or negative consequences resulting from its use. So moving on, the last one in this group. Post is from Jim Brain, president of Glenside. Congratulations to the 2021-22 Glenside Color Computer Club officers. So he says, we appreciate all those who accept the nominations for our officer positions. We congratulate our officer lineup for 2021-22. President Jim Brain. Uh, Vice President John Mark Mobley, Secretary Brian Goers, Treasurer Eric Canales. There you have it. They've got the new officers. Those are the people that are going to be planning uh, Cocoa Fest coming in May and uh, possibly beyond. <laughs> uh, next news article here is from David Bennett Piano. Music theory concepts ranked by importance. It's a cool video, I think. Kind of had the, this little interchange between uh, me and Boise, I think, in the last um, uh, one. Uh, I think he was kind of teasing me about my music theory, my theories on music theory, or <laughs> something like that. Um, but I think he makes a good point uh, in that, uh, and sort of my main point or whatever, is you can make good music without knowing all the words to describe <laughs> things. And that um, the real point of uh, knowing the various music theory concepts or topics or whatever is so that uh, you can communicate to other musicians. And, uh, of course, if you're the only person playing, you don't really have to communicate to anybody else. <laughs> um, but uh, right. on top of that, he um, breaks down, and he makes a really big list of various topics, but you know, between things from being able to, re to read sheet music, which is pretty basic stuff, uh, but knowing, uh, you know, the names of the notes or knowing the certain kinds of chords, knowing uh, what the different intervals are, like a perfect fourth, perfect fifth, that kind of stuff. 
to, to some, you know, much more esoteric uh, tritone replacements and that sort of stuff. Um, and he goes through and, and makes a chart and basically says, you know, if you want to learn a little music theory but don't have time to learn it all or at least all at once, these are the things that are more important in general and maybe you should focus on these concepts and maybe not worry quite as much about those concepts. And so I thought it was a cool um, a cool presentation. The next news article is from Flatland Spider. Now this is interesting. Students don't know what files and folders are, professors say. Yeah. It's true. My my wife is a school teacher, high school teacher, and they they seriously have no clue on this concept. Yeah. And I don't know, I think there's a couple of things that influence that. I mean, the, the Googleification, there you go, <laughs> of the world of the world where you just search for everything. Uh, and I've had had people definitely look me straight in the eye and say, well, if you just search for stuff, it's faster than, than if you have any kind of organization. I'm not at all convinced that that's true uh, if you actually, you know, think in an organized way. <laughs> um, and maybe that's the real problem is some people don't think in an organized way and then therefore can't organize their desktop very well. But um, the other thing that plays into that, especially younger people, you know, kind of their first or main introduction to computing is through cell phones. And, of course, the major cell phone platforms, both Android and, and um, iOS, you tend not to think that much about files. You think about applications. You open the application, and the things that, w that would be files probably are files underneath are, are only represented inside the application that use them. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's easy to not think about them as files at all, right? And certainly not to think about them being in a certain folder. Right. So... It's a little weird to me to, to, to such a basic concept is, is, and especially it's that skeuomorphic, uh, I think is the proper term, a concept there that's supposed to be based on real life stuff like actual folders <laughs> and actual files that was supposed to help people understand how the computers were working with things or what those abstractions are supposed to mean. And nowadays are just totally overlooked. <laughs> And so they may, they have no meaning to people now. It's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, there's your piece of news for the world. All right, moving on here, we have uh, one an update here from uh, Nicholas Marentes on his game Zero Hour blog. Uh, it's on Chapter 11, Power Station and Transporter Tubes. He's still working on uh, his game Zero Hour, which is good to see. Hopefully that comes to fruition soon. Yeah, yeah, his... Um... He kind of changed his sort of the, the, what he, how he blogs or what he blogs about. And so this has become more of a status update to then an actual d discussion of how the code is written. A little yeah, bit less so. interesting to me. I don't know how other people feel about that. But, you know, it, it does look good, and it looks like he's making progress. And so that's good to hear. For yeah, sure. definitely a good-looking game. Yeah. yeah, that's great. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, next news article is from Michael B. Brutman. Building a Stratum 1 time server for 16-bit DOS. <laughs> yeah, I like this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, remember back in the day when you actually had to set the time on your computer? <laughs> yeah. 
Not just yeah. like you have to set a time on your stove or something, you know. Right. But um, most of us nowadays, uh, I think uh, a lot of people don't even really think about it. Once they set their time zone, uh, eventually the the time on their on their laptop is just correct, and they probably don't even wonder why or how that happened. But uh, you know, some of us have known about network time servers for a longer period than that, and had to set things up in the past. Yeah, so there's these machines out there that live out on the the internet or out on the network that um, keep track of the time and and tell and will tell the time to anybody who asks. A lot like the, back in the old day when you could dial a certain phone number and um, say the time is 4:30 or you know something like that. Well, the computer can do that and does that these days, and you probably don't even know about it unless you know, like you said, you just have had to deal with it. But uh, this person did a project, uh, and it's you know it's not a cocoa. Uh, maybe it could be. That'd be a pretty cool project. Um, <laughs> but uh, instead, he's got a DOS machine with a a. Uh, it sounded like a homemade um, uh, IP stack. Uh, but uh, he's um, you know built a, a server that can be used as a part of that timekeeping network. Um, but it's all built on top of MS DOS. A pretty cool. So major props to to Mr. Brutman. For sure. Okay, this one is from Winslow Fegley at IGN at YouTube. This is a trailer for the movie 8-Bit Christmas, an official trailer. This is a Neil Patrick Harris uh, film that is out now. In, this, in terms of this being 8-Bit Christmas, it's referring to the Nintendo uh, Entertainment System. Yeah. Uh, I actually watched this movie. It's out on uh, HBO Max now if you want to watch it. Uh, it's kind of a fun little uh, you know, family-oriented uh, movie about the adventures of uh, kids trying to desperately get a, a Nintendo Entertainment System when they were impossible to get in the Christmas of uh, 88, I believe. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, got a, it's a, got a good story. I'd say it's, it's more oriented toward uh, children or, you know, like a, a, definitely we call it a family film, so it'll appeal to, mm-hmm. to adults and children. Uh, Definitely worth a watch. I think I, I kind of like the ending of it a lot. It's a pretty good message. So if you're yeah. looking for something to watch with your family or your, your kids, uh, this is probably there's something for everybody in this film. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I also watch it, and uh, like you said, it's um, you know it's certainly not a, a technical or a retro computing thing at all, <laughs> but it's got some nice. <laughs> retro uh, nostalgia kind of moments there and it propagates the myth of blowing into the cartridge uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, not something that we did on the cocoa but uh, certainly oh. it's something that people are well known to say was necessary on the nes um, <laughs> and um uh, you know i mean like i said it's cool and, and it has some nice tropes or whatever mm-hmm. i would not call it a knee slapper uh, but it's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, it certainly has some moments that were pretty funny. Yeah. And, you know, overall kind of good message thing. And uh, so, and a cool treehouse. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, nice ending. All right, this next one is from Rocky Hill. It's a board that replaces the functionality of the SC77527P DAC chip on the Tandy Coco. Uh, this is a GitHub post that has the Gerber files, so you can, you know, have a board made. So you definitely have to roll your own. But uh, 
It's a drop-in replacement board for the DAC chip on the Tandy Coco. Uh, I don't know, John, is that chip pretty hard to get a hold of now? Or? Well, I mean, as far as I know, they're unobtainium unless you know of a source. Right. Um, you know, certainly, you know, one of the two custom chips that uh, are on the Coco 2 and the Coco 3 well, I mean, the Coco 3 obviously has a gimme, but also it has the, the DAC chip and the SALT chip. And so this Mr. Mr. Hill here, Rocky, <laughs> has uh, um, been working on those replacements. And so, you know, it'll keep a few Cocos alive that wouldn't otherwise be available, or maybe keep a few Cocos in a not-quite-alive but not-totally-dead state that uh, would otherwise have turned into donors. <laughs> right. So, um, so that's good to uh, keep those alive, and uh, maybe some uh, cool stuff that'll come out of that for sure. So. Very, um, very detailed instructions too, which is great. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Rocky. And we have one from Andre Ballista. Am I yeah. doing something wrong or Mame? 0237B does not support the Game Master cartridge. And I know you replied to this one, John. I'll let you talk to this one. No, well, basically, I think he, he was doing correct, um, and I'm not sure where he had gotten his instructions from, but um, I, I published some that uh, he may have been following mine. <laughs> basically, he just had old information. Um, and uh, the... Um, the configuration, the command line configuration for enabling the Games Master uh, on the on the main versions that had been had been current. Uh, apparently, um, there's been a change, uh, and so the the option changed from where it was Games underscore Master to change now to GMC, and uh, which apparently was to bring that in line with uh, the. Uh, command line options being used by some of the other emulators. So good, bad, or indifferent, uh, whatever. Um, more like, uh, well, it changed and you got to deal with it. <laughs> so so there you go. Uh, just to make people aware, if you're trying to emulate the Game Master cartridge, you might have to use um, GMC instead of Games underscore Master. So there you go. <laughs> All right, and our final link this month is from Chet Simpson. This holiday season, take a break from your weirdo cousin with the van and get freaky with Digger 3, the Saint's Ascension. So uh, <laughs> Chet has made uh, has produced Digger 3, and it's uh, downloadable and free to anyone who wants to grab it. It is extremely impressive graphics uh, and gameplay. If uh, if you like the Digger series, this is the, the latest. Uh, it's got to have... You know, four-way, full-screen scrolling, digital sound effects. It's a beautiful-looking game. It's time well spent if you make the effort to uh, to check it out. Yeah, very nice. Thanks for very that, cool. Very cool game. Thank you, Chad, for sharing with the community. Sometimes it's hard being a hero. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's the end of our news segment. So why don't we take another little break? And uh, we'll be back with some feedback. Add the power of CPM to your color computer with Color Power 2. Just plug the Color Power 2 ROM pack into your 64K color computer 1 or 2. Connect your disk drive and composite monitor to the ROM pack. Insert our diskette and you now have access to thousands of CPM applications. 
Run WordStar, DBase 2, SuperCalc, MultiPlan, and thousands of other popular CPM titles. ColorPower 2 displays clear 80 by 24 text on your composite monitor with true upper and lower case. On board is a powerful 4 MHz CADA microprocessor, and the ColorPower 2 comes with its own power supply to keep your Cocoa running cool. ColorPower 2 with Digital Research CPM 2.2 is just $329. Absolutely no modifications to your color computer needed. The ColorPower 2 from ColorPower Unlimited Incorporated, New Providence, New Jersey. Since 1994, Cloud9 has made cool stuff for your color computer. Now Cloud9 is proud to announce the 2 megabyte Triad Plus Memory Expansion Board. The Triad Plus works in two ways. Purchase just the Triad Plus board to expand your Color Computer 3 from 128K to 512K of RAM. Or add the new Protector Plus MMU to access the full 2 megabytes of static RAM aboard the Triad Plus. And the Protector Plus MMU utilizes full buffering to protect your CPU. Unlike previous 2 megabyte memory expansions for the Coco 3, the Triad Plus operates seamlessly without the need for special patches, configuration, or workarounds. Games like Donkey Kong Remix and Sierra Adventure games simply work without hassle. And the Triad Plus will reduce your Coco's power consumption and heat generation. The Triad Plus and Protector Plus MMU, only from the innovative engineering of Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. Harvey is ready to move on to his next project. But he's stuck waiting on his printer. Waiting and waiting and waiting. But Charlie uses Super Spooler. It allows him to keep working on his color computer while his printer is still printing. It works with Telewriter and most popular productivity programs. Super Spooler allows Charlie to get three times as much work done as Harvey. Congratulations on your promotion, Charlie. Thanks, Cheryl. Don't be like Harvey. Get Super Spooler today. Just $19.95 U.S., $24.95 Canadian. From Tandar Systems, Ontario, Canada. All right, Google Cruisers. Now it's time for some feedback. First item of feedback comes to us from uh, Chris, a.k.a. Sloopy, uh, Chris Lucky. says, quote, uh, congrats, John and crew. Always a good earful of cocoa goodness when I listen. I think this is in response to us announcing that uh, we have over a quarter million downloads of the Cocoa Crew podcast over all time. <laughs> Our uh, big achievement for most recent that we're pretty proud of. Thank you, uh, Sloopy, for uh, for congratulations on that and uh, for being a listener yourself. I'm sure you're responsible for a few of those downloads too. So good to hear from you. Thanks. All right, moving on. The next one comes uh, also. This is from uh, John Strong, uh, Mr. 3D Printer <laughs> Extraordinary in the community. John Strong says, um, thanks for all of your work supporting the Cocoa community. So, again, that's in response to our, 200, our, our quarter million download uh, uh, announcement and uh, that gathered uh, from a uh, and then one more that also replied uh, to the uh, quarter million downloads announcement. This was from Ron Klein. And it's uh, to the Cocoa Crew. Thank you for all you've done for the community. Well, certainly welcome, Ron. Thank you as well. <laughs> Great to hear from you. And then the uh, final one, this comes from uh, Kieran Askin. And this is in response to the tech segment uh, last time. Part of it, uh, one of the, the hypotheticals or whatever uh, questions I posed in that was, um, you know, why do we have CAS and, and as well as WAV files? And um, so 
So he kind of paraphrases me. So why Kaz? Waves really aren't that huge. Uh, so uh, his answer, well, the main plus for me is that as long as the bits are by lined, not actually required to work in an emulator, you can uh, read it in the hex editor. So basically what he's getting at is if you have a CAS file, you can essentially treat it as a, as a, as a, um, as an object file format, kind of like a bin file or even like a, you know, an OBJ file does an output from a compiler or something like that. So if you're, um, if you're the kind of geek that can benefit from, uh, from looking at, um, a, a binary program represented in a hex editor, one of the benefits of, uh, having the CAS file <laughs> is it's, uh, it's already pretty close to being ready for that kind of analysis. <laughs> so of uh, the very, I'm sure there's more than one person in the community who could benefit from that, but uh, I'm sure uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not at all surprised that, that uh, Mr. Anscombe would be the one to point that out. Uh, he's, uh, you know, his his mind doesn't work like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, he's quite the little boffin, uh, shall we say? I think that's the proper term for, uh, for the UK geeks. Um, anyway. Thank you, Karen, for the for the feedback. That's a good answer. So that's the end of our feedback this month. So again, we'll take another break, and uh, we'll be back with uh, well, probably with the host discussion and or uh, whatever's left on the show. This month in Coco history. Welcome to This Month in Cocoa History, where we explore events in the life of our favorite home computer. I'm Boise Pete, and this month we go back 31 years to the November 1988 issue of the Rainbow Magazine and a wish list of holiday goodies. Pages 41 to 44 of the issue featured the Rainbow Holiday Shopping Guide, filled with suggestions of cocoa goodies to buy. For software, there was Speed Racer from Mitztron on cassette and disc for $34.95. Birkenberg's Hyper.io for $29.95, and Car Sign Designer from Zebra Systems for $29.95. Then there was the hardware, a Disto Supercontroller 2 for $130, a DS69B Digitizer for $149.95, and the Venerable Coco 3 for $129.95. You could even get a CM8 RGB monitor for $299.95. Finally, accessories such as the DM8 printer stand from Data Manufacturing for $14.95, the Delphi Official Guide from Simon & Schuster for $21.95, and an MPI locking plate from Gimmesoft for $7.95. While the Rainbow Holiday Shopping Guide is no more, we have contemporary options as the holidays approach. On eBay, you can find a used Coco 3 today, going for about $350. And that's this month. Do you struggle trying to remember how to check your multi-pack interface to see if its PAL has been updated for the COCO 3? Looking through documentation is time-consuming. List archives and search engines require so much typing and are just too complicated. And even if you find the correct pokes and peaks, you'll never write them down or remember them. But now there's the MPI tester from Romco. Just connect the MPI tester to any model of multi-pack. 
Power on the multi-pack and simply check the color of the status LED on the MPI tester. Blue means the MPI is unmodified. Green means the MPI has been upgraded for the Color Computer 3. Best of all, the MPI tester never requires batteries. It's perfect for home, camper, boat, and RVs. Get the MPI tester from Romco, a great Christmas gift for only $7.77. Available at Walgreens, Shoppers Drug Mart, Woolco Woolworth, Family Drug Centers, Osco Drug, Canadian Tire, McDonald's, Piggly Wiggly, Montgomery Ward, Sears Roebuck, Village Pantry, Burger King, Sandy's, Dwayne Reed, Kate Spade, The Church of Scientology, Five Guys, Baby Gap, Swizzles, 7-Eleven, Albertsons, Participating Exxon Stations, Beauregard's, Alma's Fried Chicken, ABC Liquors, Moon Pie General Stores, Whole Foods, Taco John's, Sherwin-Williams, and Goldblatt's. The holidays are here again, and for most folks that means sending out cards to your friends and family. It seems that each year the list gets longer and longer. But this year, we're saving loads of time by using the Coco 3 Address File and Envelope Label Addressing from RJF Software. It automatically addresses all standard envelopes or prints labels. You can store up to 270 addresses per disk. Each record can hold eight lines of 64 characters. It's fully menu-driven, and it's easy to add, modify, or delete records. It's perfect for small business mailing, newsletters, client lists, or my favorite use, Christmas cards. All you need is a Coco 3 with a disk drive and a dot matrix printer. And it's just $14.95 U.S. plus $3 shipping and handling. Ontario residents add 7% provincial sales tax. The Coco 3 address file and envelope label addressing. From RJF Software, White Lake, Ontario. All right, well, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. Now it's time for a little discussion amongst the hosts. So uh, let's see, we have, uh, we're, we're one short this, this month. Uh, let's see, of course, you got me, Mr. John Linville. We've got uh, Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, everyone. And, of course, we've got uh, our, the dean of our group, um, Mr. Mike Rowan. Uh, hello, Mike. <laughs> hello, everyone. <laughs> so the uh, discussion topic today, let me see if I can frame this one. Um, so let's say you're, you've had an idea for a project, and but it's you, you've heard it bounced around and, and know that someone in the community has has already identified that project as something that they plan to do and or provide but you need it <laughs> you need it to make progress on whatever it is whatever it is you want to do beyond that and so um comes down to you know that you know your respectfulness or being respectful to other people um, kind of causes you to delay, um, which puts your project on hold and kind of at their mercy. And that's not real nice. <laughs> so, you know, how long should you wait in that, in that holding pattern? So things to consider, um, you're trying to be considerate. You know somebody else is going to do the project, so it's kind of rude to, to run in and just do it, you know, over top of them or, you know, steal the project from them or steal the glory for the project, um, that sort of thing. But, you know, depends on the project. Maybe, like you said, maybe you're waiting for them. So, for example, uh, say you want to do a terminal program uh, that runs on OS 9, but um, maybe you're waiting on a device driver for for the UART, um, you know, that that's somehow a requirement for your project to run on, you know, something other than, 
the existing, you know, the serial pack or whatever, but something else that that needs a, a, a UR driver. Yeah. How long do you wait for that? How long do you do you wait until you just go ahead and write your own UR driver and move on with your your serial port, uh, your terminal program, something like that? I'm sure there's other aspects to to think about. But yeah, so what's what's important here? What's the important thing? Do you do you, do you wait to, to um, not steal the project and not be the jerk, um, or um, do you do you go ahead and and move forward just to 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 block to un- unblock yourself to clear clear the way for your other projects or whatever, or something in between? You know, maybe there's a way to uh, to you know do a lesser version of the project as you need done, something like that. Any thoughts? Where do we start here? I think it varies on the project, for one thing. Sure. I mean, given your example, I would just go ahead and write that uh, driver. Yeah. Because, I mean, if there's really no monetary value, I'm looking at it on that aspect. I don't think it's rude uh, mm-hmm. to go ahead and do it. Um, you know, maybe even if you don't want to, you know, announce it per se, like, you know, maybe just boast your terminal program, but not so much the... Uh, the driver, maybe go on that approach, you know, to try to be nice and you're not stepping anybody's toes. I think we've had other examples, uh, maybe in the hardware realm. I was about to pull the trigger on producing a composite board for the color computer right around the same time that Ed was, Ed uh, Snyder was going to put one out. And when I found out he was working on it and he was a little further along than, than I was, I was like, well, you know, I'll back out and we don't, we don't need two of these. Right. 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 And, you know, I didn't have to. I could have gone ahead and, and produced mine. There's nothing wrong with that either. I just, uh, it just seemed uh, redundant to me, so I didn't do that. But there have been other instances where people said, oh, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And, you know, it's kind of checks in the mail, and, and things go by for a year or two. And then finally someone says, you know what, it's long enough. Uh, nothing got produced, so I'm going to take that on. And I, I think that's legitimate as well right. because – it's a hobby thing. People have good intentions. People get busy doing other things. I don't think, uh, and like I said, it depends on the, the project. And uh, sometimes I guess it can be contentious in the uh, in the community uh, about that. But uh, how long should we wait before doing a given project? Uh, 22 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Obviously, <laughs> There's, there's no prescriptive answer that's going to cover every case. You have to think about it um, from a variety of angles and whatever. And, you know, like I said, the, I mean, probably the example I cited is a little bit of a straw man. People want a driver. They probably don't care if it's the driver or the one from a certain person. So, I mean, the way I described that one, obviously, it, it would lean towards a if you got the cycles to write at least a bare bones driver, then go ahead and do it, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, there have been other, uh, which I think Mike kind of hinted at, and, and I think this problem used to be, I don't know, maybe worse. Um, there is, um, actually so long ago, I can't even remember what the name of the, the project was. There was a, somebody had done kind of a, it was almost like Fusix before Fusix existed. There was a a a, <laughs> a project that someone had done on a Commodore, I think, uh, and then had started to port them out to other systems. You know, it was involved uh, a network stack and some other stuff. 
And, um, you know, I had thought that that was something that I might take an interest in. And there was someone in the community who announced to the world, well, I'm going to be doing that. And, um, you know, talked a big game about how much, uh, what they were going to do and all the design parameters and this and that. And, and um, so they kind of talked a big game and then it never produced at all and never showed up and never showed up and never showed up and never showed up and still hasn't showed up to the point I can't remember the name of what it was now. <laughs> but, um, and in that case, probably five years ago, I should have said, well, go ahead and do it. But, of course, you know, it turns out I have other things to do. <laughs> but um, instead, we got a podcast. But, yeah, I mean, again, it, it, it just, it, uh, there's no easy answer on that one. But I do I do think it's easy to say, well, just go ahead and do it for yourself, whatever. And that probably works for some people. But uh, I'm sure that answer also is going to irritate some people or, or make some people feel like their work has been invalidated or, or whatever, that they just didn't quite get that extra time to finish whatever they were doing and um, probably hurt some feelings or whatever. I don't know what the answer is there. And then here's the other issue with this, is you run the risk of um, nothing getting done. You know, sometimes True. if you're waiting, you know, it could halt or uh, slow down, uh, you know, production or whatever the project is. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, and, and that's exactly what happened with the, the project is so long ago. I can't remember what it was called. Exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I, somebody, somebody stood on top of the hill and said that this is my hill and I'm going to have it. I was nice enough to say, well, okay, I don't want to fight with you over it. And instead of, you know, instead of fighting over it, we just didn't get it at all. So that's not so good. So, I mean, I guess it's one of those that kind of comes back to, well, we should, you should have some awareness of what's going on in the community. So, you know, like listen to the monthly podcast or, you know, the weekly discussions or whatever you like, um, or keep up on Facebook and uh, have some idea of what's going on in the community and who's doing it. And try to maintain enough good relations that you can uh, say, uh, "Hey, Bill, have uh, have you finished writing that driver yet, or <laughs> are are you still going to do that project with the the funny graphics and the robot arm that hits people on top of the head, or you know, <laughs> whatever it is you're trying to do?" And if if Bill says, "Well, no, I, I kind of not getting to that. Why don't you go ahead and do it?" Well, that you know, that's probably better for everyone, right? Um, and Bill, in this case, is a made-up name, not just a, not no particular person. But, but well, I guess it's what it comes back to is we all should talk to each other yeah, and yeah. Uh, try to keep uh, keep tabs on uh, you know who's doing uh, you know within reason who's working on things and uh, also try to step back when you know you're not actually going to get to stuff and don't. You know, don't walk around like a rabid dog peeing in the corner on everything. <laughs> um, you you overpromise things, and, uh, you know, that's no good either. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure well, I we're all aware of projects where somebody has just has announced some big thing that they're working on, and it's just going to take them another three years to finish and just wait for it. It'll get here eventually. It'll be done when it's done, and it just never gets done. And <laughs> And then people... 
you know, she's somebody who's who's so desperate for whatever the big project is, they'll uh, constantly sort of prod people and talk about how great this thing is when it gets here, but it never gets here and <laughs> kind of stands in the way of something else. But that's kind of a different topic, so <laughs> maybe we'll discuss that some other time. Back to, to this one, how long do you wait? I guess you, you wait until you can't wait no more. <laughs> um, if it's something you need for your project, go ahead and do what you need to do for your project. And, um, you know, try to be considerate overall. I know we got in a little trouble in the past saying we should be considerate, which still baffles me. But try to be considerate of one another. But that goes both ways. If you've if you've claimed you're doing something and somebody's might be waiting, if you know you're not going to finish, then go ahead and be honest about that one too. So be considerate in both directions. Others will completely disagree with that and and just take a Darwinistic <laughs> view and say it's a free for all. It's a you know do whatever you want. Do whatever and you will. At some level, you can do whatever you want. It is sure. a hobby, and we don't owe each other yeah. anything monetarily or whatever. No legal requirement. Mm-hmm. It's just a. Um, be good to one another, you know, do unto others as you would yourself, that kind of thing. Just that. Just We're all people here. We're all trying to get along and have some fun. So uh, try to have fun without ruining anyone else's time. I guess that's what it gets down to, for, to me. And if that doesn't speak to you, then, uh, well, <laughs> that's okay, too. Yeah, I oh. guess there's, it's just it's always going to be an opinion. There's really no specific right or wrong answer here. Other than us kicking around and <laughs> saying it'd be nice to be good to each other, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, be good to one another. I think that's a treat, great one. Treat and people we, like a human being, yeah. If you want to argue about that one, well, feel free to send us some feedback, but I'm not going to promise to play it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, communication is key. You know, even if exactly. you're uh, new, new to the community or, you know, living under a rock uh, where you're not listening to the podcast, um, you know, just reach out, you know, to, to the community. Just ask a question. You know, ask if this has been done or if it's going to be done and uh, go from there. Anyway, is it, have we beat it to death now? We have. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we draw this one to a close and um, we'll take another little break. We'll be back with the rest of the show. Active Software is proud to present Games Take One. Find out what critics are calling the best collection of Dragon games available. Eight fantastic full-length programs on one cassette. That's an incredible 200k. Each game features spectacular color graphics and sound. You get Wipeout, Interplanetary Trader, Wampus Mansion, Hilo, Atom Hunt, Snail Pace, Execution, and Air Assault. All of these great games for just £6.25, and that includes postage. Plus, our unconditional replacement guarantee. If your cassette fails to load, just return it to Active Software for an immediate replacement. All orders are dispatched within 48 hours of receipt. Order your copy of Games Take One today. Active Software, 117, Eichneald Street, Birmingham. Active Software, second to none. The Dragon is back with 64K. Two kinds of basic 
Data Limited is proud to present the new Dragon 64. It has twice the memory of the Dragon 32, featuring a real serial communications port. Get your Dragon 64 today. Hey, hey, Dragon Welcome back, Coco Cruisers. This is Mike Rowan, and we have a special segment for you from the UK, courtesy of Kieran Enscombe. Kieran attended the Dragon Meet in Cambridge, England, and collected some audio bites from several attendees. I'm sure you'll recognize more than a few of the names you'll hear in this segment. So thanks to all of our Dragon listeners, and thanks, Kieran. Hi, it's John Whitworth of Dragon Plus Electronics here, and uh, this year at the Dragon Meet at the Cambridge Computer History Museum thingy, I have brought the Super Sprite, which some of you may already have heard of, and that's doing all of its um, graphics and sounds demos. But I've also brought with me the much fabled, until a few years ago, Premier Sprite Board, which was developed by Premier Microsystems, and which I think ultimately contributed to Premier Microsystems downfall. So the Premier um, Sprite Board uses the same chip as the TI-99, so the TMS, well, TMS-9929, because it's the PAL version, but it uses that chip, so it adds true sprites to the Dragon 32, uh, it's got a basic ROM on there, so it, it provides extensions to the graphics. Unfortunately, that does mean you can't use it with a disk drive. Um, but it's a fun little board, and it's sitting here, and it's running, and we've got the original demo running on it from um, Personal Computer News, I think it was. Um, and, and another little demo I knocked up the other night, so we've got dragons bouncing up and down the screen as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's it, really. Lovely, thank you. No problem. Hi, I'm Phil. Um, I'm here at the Dragon Meetup. Um, I've been uh, developing a VGA board for the Dragon um, and a multi-cart, which I've donated to the museum. And as, uh, as normal at these events, I've been uh, ended up fixing things for people as well, just meeting up and having a general chat about, about computers in general. Thank you very much. It's all right. Hi, I'm Richard Harding, and uh, I've brought a couple of projects on to show. I've got a recreation of the production test line, which tested the joystick and printer port, etc., cassette port, uh, as they did in the factory. We've got the original software that run on the machine being tested, and I've done a little test rig for that. And I brought along my USB conversion kit. Well, not kit. I won't be selling it as a kit. Let's make that clear. <laughs> so I've done my own 3D printed keyboard. So I brought that along and people can have a quick play on that. That's it. Thank, Thank you very, very much. <laughs> this is Roy Templeman. Uh, yeah, so uh, here we are at the Centre for Computing History. Uh, and we're at the annual Dragon Meetup. Uh, what I've got with me today is I've slightly bent the rules a little bit and brought some 680X machines. Uh, so for anybody who's a fan of the Dragon and the Cocoa-based machines, you'll know that the 6809 CPU is what drives it. What I've got with me today is a few variants of that. So I have a, a rather rare Panasonic JR200, which is a 6802-based machine, uh, which is a nice derivative. I also have the somewhat substantial <laughs> Fujitsu FM8, which is actually a dual 6809, uh, which was quite spectacular specification given that that's from 1981. So you've got 64K of RAM and two 6809s. Uh, I've also got with me today the Thompson T08, which was the sort of last 
hoorah at the 8-bit market for the Thompson machines. Uh, it came out in 1986. Uh, it's a, it is a 6809 based machine but has um, graphic modes that are similar to the 16-bit genre so you actually get some quite nice effects with that, with that machine. And right at the end of the table we've got the Matra Alice 90 uh, which is a 6803 based machine. Uh, and it's somewhat unique in that you could actually use a Genlock. Uh, in fact, it has Genlock capabilities right out of the box, that machine. So you can actually put titles over the top of um, VHS cassette tape if you really, really wanted to. And of course, I had to bring a Dragon 32 because we are at the Dragon Meet. Uh, and uh, my Dragon 32 actually has a slight modification on the power board, which allows it to use a standard 12 volts, um, which is good because the uh, the Dragon, the original Dragon CPU, uh, sorry, original Dragon PSU, was a very odd 28 volt and eight and a half volt feed. Uh, which makes it very hard to replace uh, and if your power supply which is a molded unit dies then they're getting harder and harder to come by now so so having the ability to to, to modify that uh, to a 12 volt feed has made all the difference uh, so uh, feel free to ask me any questions about these machines they are they they all have their strengths and weaknesses <laughs> um, but they're all quite unique even though they share that common 680x platform Lovely, thank you. I mean, the one I want most is the Alice. The Alice? Uh, they're, yeah, yeah. they're all very pretty. They are all, and they're all very red. <laughs> um, so I've got three Alice machines. I've got the original 4K, which is the, the uh, most people think it's just a red MC10, but it is a little bit different to the to, to Shiva. I've also got the 32K version of that. Um, so it's the same platform, but a totally different motherboard with 32K, and it's not compatible with, with its predecessor, I might add. Uh, and then we have the Alice 90, which uh, looks like somebody had a right go it with a saw. Um, it's quite a unique design, if anybody knows the Alice 90, um, and it is in that glorious red. Every computer is better when it's red, everybody should know that. Um, there is a bit of a running joke in that the uh, that Matra also made a laptop version of the Alice, but we know it as an Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Hiya, my name is Sean Billings. Um, I'm relatively new to the Dragon scene. I just sort of got into it because a friend of mine said they used to have a machi this machine as their sort of their childhood first unit. So I got one in my collection and it sat there gathering dust for quite a while. Um, but for the uh, retro challenge, I sort of I decided I was going to learn something about the Dragon. So I decided to learn something about how the cartridge port worked and to do something useful with, for it. So I built a prototype card to give myself a general purpose I.O. port um, and to test it out I thought I'd drive a, an LCD display from it. it was, the purpose was it needed to be driven by BASIC so I needed to be able to control the 8-bit uh, input-output port via BASIC and yes I achieved that in the October month and I was quite happy. Then I thought I was enjoying using the machine so much, I thought I'd learn how to code some 6809 assembly. I hadn't coded 6809 assembly before. I'd done Z80 assembly, I'd done 6502, and I'd done a little bit of PIC and other sort of microprocessor stuff, but not, but was completely unaware of how that the uh, Dragon's sort of 6809 CPU actually worked. And I've sort of got bitten by the bug and wanted to do more with it. So I've been doing it old school, so I'm using All Dream, loading up from cassette, although I'm doing it solid state cassette now rather than the actual um, physical um, stuff. But 
loading and saving off of uh, WAV files to actually um, and building, actually compiling the code, well, assembling the code, sorry, directly on the Dragon and have actually managed to get it to work and I'm really, really quite sort of chuffed. But I'm here at the event to sort of, you know, sort of fly osmosis and directly asking some questions as to, you know, people that really know how these machines tick and, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Thank you very much. Cool. Hi, uh, I'm Steve Bamford. I'm at the uh, Dragon Meetup. I've got a demo of uh, Circe's Island. Still not finished, to my shame. Um, but it's here anyway for people to have a little play on, give some feedback. And I'm just looking at everyone, everyone else's projects as well. That's it. Thank you very much. Hello, I'm Stuart Orchard. I've brought um, an upgraded Dragon 32 with me. So it's originally upgraded to 64K. And then I went mad and upgraded it to 256k with a, a banker board design. And the problem with having 256k memory in a computer is what do you do with it? So thought one possibly useful thing to do would be to um, sort of demonstrate an old operating system adapted to make some use of this extra memory. So the idea I've had is to take the original core of the Flex operating system and adapt that use on a dragon so I've written um, a disk driver in this case to use drive wire I've, I've written a console driver so just to use a normal sort of a 32 by 16 text screen and I didn't write a keyboard driver so I nicked it off of um, somebody's website called Kieran Anscombe who, who rather handily wrote a keyboard driver so I've just wrapped that up and used that as well as part of the console driver package so what I have here is a version of Flex running on a 256k Dragon with a RAM disk, which makes use of a fair chunk of that. Hello there, I'm uh, Tony Jewell, and I've got one, two, three, four dragons here with me today. Um, they're all different attempts to solve the same problem, which is the slightly flaky graphical output of our beloved machine. So, looking uh, from left to right, I have a Dragon with a Dragon Plus board in. That was a, a board made by CompuSense in the 80s. It gives me 80 column, and in this case here, uh, two screens. I've got a machine with a much more modern solution, which is, well, I don't think it even has a name yet, but basically it's a Raspberry Pico plugged into the 6809 to emulate the 6847 and to give us VGA quality graphics. Uh, next to that, I have a machine with a Super Sprite FM Plus developed by John Whitworth, and that gives me a Yamaha MSX2 style uh, chipset, so I have sprites and colors and 80 columns. And finally, at the end, I have something from the Coco, which is a Coco VGA board uh, plugged into the 6847 socket so that's what i've got and everything seems to be working at the moment cross fingers lovely thank you very much okay new for the dragon 32 it's machine gun warfare in the sky your machine the royal marine spitfire eight guns 16 one second bursts your target, slow-moving Heinkel bombers, escorted by formidable Messerschmitt fighters. Ace high, Mark II. Test your metal in the skies above London. Only £6.95. From Tudor Williams.
Bilston West Midlands. The Dragon microcomputer was launched in the UK last year. Since then, we have developed a knowledge and mastery of the machine's capabilities. You can benefit from our experience by subscribing to Dragon User, which is expanding its coverage to include all US developments. Each issue of Dragon User contains reviews of the latest software, programming advice for beginners, hardware projects, program listings for games and utilities, reviews of Dragon peripherals, technical advisory service, programming articles for users. Dragon User is only $29.95 for 12 issues, airspeeded to US and Canada. Make the most of your new Dragon microcomputer with Dragon User, the international independent magazine for Dragon owners. Welcome back to Neil's Corner on episode 78 of the Coco Crew Podcast. I must say, 78 was a good year. Why is that, you ask? Because it was my birth year. I predate the Coco by two years. Well, since I'm all nostalgic this month, I'm going to review another one of my favorite Coco games from back in the day. This game is called Puyin. It was originally released in 1982 by Konami in Japan. And a year later, the Coco got an official license port and was published by a company called Datasoft. Jerry Humphrey and James Guerin coded it for Datasoft. Pullion is a static screen fixed shooter arcade game. Extremely fun to play with a lot of replay value trying to beat your high score and to make it to different levels. The object of the game is to rescue your babies that have been kidnapped by a pack of wolves. You control the character called Mama Pig and you are situated in an elevator cart. The controls consist of only two positions which is up or down. The fire button shoots arrows and throws pieces of meat. Each level has two different rounds. On the first round, the wolves descend slowly from a high ledge riding balloons, which your job is to shoot each balloon and drop the wolves to the ground. If you miss one of the balloons, a wolf will get to the ground safely and climb up the ladder behind your elevator that you are controlling and try to eat Mama Pig if she moves in front of them. On the second round, the wolves start on the ground and inflate balloons to ride them up until they reach the top of the cliff. If they make it all the way to the top of the cliff, they will try to push a boulder towards the edge so it'll fall on Mama Pig. Your job is to shoot your arrow and pop all the balloons the wolves are riding so they cannot make it to the top of the cliff. To make this game even more difficult, wolves that are airborne in either round can throw rocks at Mama Pig. Also, on the second round, the balloons that the wolves are riding must be shot several times in order to pop them. As a bonus to help you occasionally, a slab of meat will appear at the top of the screen that you can obtain by riding your elevator to the very top. Picking it up and throwing it at the wolves will distract them, and they will let go of their balloons and crash to the ground for bonus points. Stray balloons and dropped fruits can also be shot for extra points. After every second round, a bonus level will appear where wolves will throw fruit and vegetables at you. You must try to shoot them for bonus points. Puyin features multi-voice music and smooth animation. It requires a color computer 1, 2, or 3 with 32K memory. Tape or disc and joystick is optional as you can play using the keyboard. It was originally released on tape. At least that's what my copy came on, and I've only ever seen this game on tape. I'm not sure if they ever released an original floppy disc version of this game for the Coco. However, you can get a disc image of it, from the Coco Archives website. Speaking of which, there is also a patched version of Puyin available on there for the Coco 3, and it takes advantage of the extra colors. This patched version makes it resemble the color sets used in the actual arcade version. Well, there you have it. Take yourself back to 1983 and have some fun playing Puyin on your Coco. Until next month, 
Happy Coco Gaming and Retro Forever. Big B Pro Quarterback. The incredible new football simulation for the color computer. Pass, run, kick. You call the plays. Compete with a friend or challenge the computer. Pro Quarterback is just $16.95 and includes versions for systems with extended color basic and non-extended color basic. Experience the thrill of pro football with Pro Quarterback from Big B Software, Broomfield, Colorado. Well, it's that time again. We have reached the end of episode 78 on the Coco Crew podcast. As usual, I'd like to thank our host, John Linville, for procuring all the news articles each month. Big thanks to Mike Rowan for painstakingly editing the podcast each month and creating those fun commercials you hear. Boise Pete, our Coco historian. He remembers it so you don't have to. Last but not least, we'd like to thank all of you who listen and support us each month. We really do appreciate your feedback as we like hearing from you. Until next month, happy cocoing and retro forever. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. Dance, dance, dance. Let's go.